I had to fight with him at first because he didn't realize what brand was and, and how it could help build metadata as a company. He just thought we could math our way out of everything. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Marketing Revisited. My name is Liam Maroney, I am your host, and on this podcast I talk to the smartest marketers I know, one topic at a time, to find out what's new, what's changed, and what you need to leave behind. And today I talked with Mark Huber. He is the head of brand and product marketing at metadata.io. It was a fantastic conversation. I will not keep you in suspense. Take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Mark, welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. And it's my fault we didn't do this sooner, but this is long overdue and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it does. It feels like we've known each other for ages already, and yet this is the first time we've ever had a conversation. I hear you. Let's do it. All right. So we are going to revisit brand. And before we even revisit it, I want to just set the stage for what is the current state of it? Because you are one of the few people who actually has brand in your title. And I've been having a lot of conversations recently where we hear Chris Walker talk about brand and how it's woven in and how intricate it is and how it's necessary for demand gen. I spoke with Kathleen Booth and she was admitting that at certainly early stage tech startups, brand is not a defined role, but it's woven into everyone's job responsibility, but you have the role. And Mm -hmm. so I want to ask you in B2B tech, what is the current state? How well are we doing it? How much do we prioritize it? And how how, how important is it? Yeah. So I'll probably start with the last, uh, two things that you mentioned first. So it's, uh, I started at metadata in, uh, August of 2020. And if you would have looked at the metadata website in August of 2020 and, and brand is not your website brand means so many, you know, different things. And the website is one of those things that helps make a brand. Uh, you would have thought, what are they? doing? Like, are they a serious company right now? Are they just trying to performance market their way out of this? And I was hired as a director of growth, which was, I always made fun of the title because as a number two marketer, you have to do everything under the sun. So like, there's really no like title that truly describes, you know, what you're doing. And when I was working with Jason over time, I was starting to push more for, Hey, we need to build a brand so that it will make a lot of this stuff easier. Now we only got to that point because we were hitting our our demo and pipeline and revenue numbers from a marketing sure. team. But the more that we did that was the more that I earned chances to start to focus more on brand building activities. I would say the current state of brand and B2B, I think it's something that a lot of people are talking about right now. I think the kind of early adopters are trying to, to build brands and build moats around their companies. But I think we're in the I hate to use sports analogies, but I think we're in like the, the second inning of a nine inning game with brand and B2B. So it's obviously been a very intentional decision on metadata's part to make brand a defined role. Can you walk me through what you own? Like what is within your realm? And obviously you have product marketing as well, and we're going to get yep. to that, but specifically the brand portion. So as a good product marketer, let's see how few words I can use to describe this. <laughs> I would say the events, content, product marketing, uh, anything that's design related right now. And we work with an agency to do that. And then uh, customer marketing as well. That's interesting. And that's one of those things where it's been fascinating to me because it feels like you go into most tech companies and you look at the way the marketing team is set up. 
and you have creative who tends to own, let's call it the brand style guide. Mm -hmm. And then you've got product marketing who's owning the messaging. And then you sometimes the website, maybe demand gen owns the website. And then you look and everything you just described is brand, but they just have been segmented into different groups. So it feels like, like that, I mean, the obvious implication of that then is that you've got disconnected brand. So like, is there, is there a centralized doc outside of like a brand style guide that you create that is that, that, that kind of gospel of what brand means for metadata? Yeah. So it's, it's funny because I just shared it today on LinkedIn, which was really our, it's our tone of voice. Uh, so yes, it's not totally a brand guide, but it describes who we are, what we do, our tone, our style, how we talk about ourselves, how we don't talk about ourselves. And I think to be totally honest, I made up this org structure and it's because of how I've seen brand being disconnected at previous companies that I've worked at. And I kind of thought through, Hey, here are all the things that didn't work. Let's try this and let's put all these different functions together because at the end of the day, all of those functions are in charge with coming up with the story communicating the story and keeping the story consistent. So like I look at brand as really, you know, the story at the end of the day and all of the functions that have to communicate or distribute that story. I'd love to dig into that. You, from what you've seen that did not work, mm -hmm. give me an example of where you've seen that breakdown from a brand perspective. Yeah. So I worked at, this would have been two companies ago. And if anyone who uh, I've still have close friends with many of the people on this team, they were unbelievable designers at the end of the day. And they were really like a creative team, but they were just known as the brand team. And if you have brand being owned by design, you know, it's just pretty cool looking things at the end of the day, and it's not connected to the story. So. That for me was a big eye opener that you can't just have a brand team that owns design and design only. You need to have it connected with the story, the messaging, how you distribute that, like really the entire experience of what it's like to be a customer at your company and making sure that that comes through in every single facet. And, you know, I remember a few companies ago, we went through that thing that I think a lot of certainly enterprise B2B tech companies go through where you start off and you're like, well, we want our brand to be fun and loud and we're going to like use swear words on our swag bags and that sort of thing. And then eventually the sales team goes, we can't talk to our customers like that. And it begins to sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you start to sound like the big enterprise safe tech. How do you navigate that problem? Because right now, metadata has a distinctive brand. Yep. Color, palette, yep. visual, everything. Yep. How yep. do you preserve that? So, and I hate saying the honest answer because I'm a straight shooter. All these are honest answers. But the, the reality is we are navigating that right now. And we're working with Dave Gerhardt as one of our advisors. And, and I was going back and forth with him the other day around the, the tone of voice doc that I shared. And he goes, I think you guys can get to hundred million in ARR and still talk like this. Now, once you get to hundred million in ARR, then you have to start to button it up. I think what took a while for our CEO to understand, and I would have never thought that he'd be on the brand train and he is so far on the brand train now. And it's crazy to think he's an engineer at the end of the day. He thought you could just math your way out of everything. <laughs> he looks at it now as, you know, Hey, this truly can be a differentiator for us, especially against our competitors. So I'm going to fight to the death to try and keep this as we, you know, scale to hundred million in ARR and, you know, we're, uh, growing significantly year over year, but it is going to be a challenge. Uh, and especially as we hire more and more people across sales and CS and marketing. 
So let me be the devil's advocate on this. I want you to like yep. defend this to me. If yep. I was saying like, I think of a differentiator and I'll give you the stereotypical, like, oh, I mean, product differentiation or price yep. or, but you say brand is a differentiator. How is it a differentiator? Like, give me an example of how that becomes a differentiation. Yep. Yeah. So I have no shame at admitting this. I'm a huge Dave Gerhardt fanboy and always have been a fanboy even before we were lucky enough to bring him on as an advisor. And I think back to the early days of when he was at Drift and when I was at, you know, two different companies that weren't ready to use Drift just yet. I had built that relationship with Drift, despite never talking to a single person at those companies so that I knew that when the time came for, let's just say a conversational marketing tool, I wasn't even considering anyone else because I knew that I was going to go with Drift. So for us, it's, you know, call it the creating demand or, you know, the 99% of people who are in market right now. It's really just building relationships with those people so that when they are ready to buy, they're not considering anyone else. We get emails or replies to our own emails that say, Hey, I love what you guys are doing. I'm not ready yet, but when I am, I'm going to buy metadata. Those are the qualitative leading indicators that show us that, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. That's differentiator because if you can, you know, shorten the consideration set to one company being your own, I mean, that's a game changer. I love that. The Drift one's a really good example. I think a lot of people can relate to that. So when you say you had a relationship with Drift, like you had a preference for them before you had a product need for them, mm -hmm. what was it that you had a relationship with Drift? Like what was it that connected with you? Yeah, I think it's a good question. So I'd say probably a few different things. One, just the kind of mysteriousness at times of what they were doing. It was like, you know, you'd see an announcement, you wouldn't really know what they were announcing, but you knew that you had to click on it because it, it, it looked and sounded cool. So I'd say that was one thing. I think the other thing was leading with content and really the people behind Drift. And we're trying to do that in a very similar way with metadata. So it wasn't just, you know, Drift communicating and, and sharing this message. It was, you know, Dave Gerhardt, it was David Cancel, it was other people on their product team, uh, like Matt Bellotti, like there were all of these people who you got to kind of know, despite never talking to them, which again, sounds so weird when you say it out loud, but like when you see those people and you're building that relationship and they're leading with content and they're showing their expertise and they're not asking you to do anything right away. That's how it builds that relationship because it felt like I was getting to know a good friend and that when I trusted them enough, the second that they either asked me to do something to sign up for, you know, a beta or actually book a demo, it was a no brainer for me that I couldn't click fast enough. Like, yes, I'll go do that. So it just, I think about all of the marketing over the last, let's say five or six years that I've responded well to. And I try to cherry pick and steal some of the things that I like best from, you know, the drifts of the world, the gongs of the world, and, you know, a few other B2C companies that I admire and just Frankenstein, like a good experience and what I think I respond well to, and hopefully what our audience responds well to. Yeah. I love that you mentioned people. And I want to ask about that. I think it's one of those things we don't think about often enough with B2B, which is that B2B is not B2C. You are selling to people, you are communicating people, you build relationships with people. And for some reason brand, like you said, creative owns brand sometimes where it's make it colorful, make it look, come up with the imagery, but it's the faces that you connect with. They're the relationships. I think of metadata, I think of you and Jason, 
you're yep. the immediate first thing. So I have a personal relationship. Like I said, we've never mm-hmm. met yet. I feel like I know yep. you same way you were with Dave Gerhardt and with, with David Cancel. Mm-hmm. So how do you work that in? I mean, like, cause this is where I get caught up and mm-hmm. like, let's say we're like, you've got people who are like early employees who've been there yep. forever and you know, they're part of it, but how do you start to identify faces, bring them out? How do you build it into a brand strategy? Yeah. So we are, I would say I, I pinch myself very often at metadata because of this exact scenario and what we have, because I think back to you know, the last two, three companies that I was at, I was scratching and clawing to get anyone to want to do this. And now we have people who are saying, Hey, I want to be a part of this. So where it starts is it starts from our president and our CEO from the top down. And they're like, Hey, this stuff works and we can't require you to do this, but if we want, you know, to help build a company the right way in 2022, we've got to get our own employees out there. So we probably have, we just had an all hands yesterday. I think we're up to like 120 ish employees. I would say roughly speaking, we probably get 30 or 40 that post just really high considering <laughs> the total yeah. number of employees on LinkedIn, when we kind of curate posts for them and we encourage them to share in their own words, some do, some don't. And then we've got this core group of people, I would say probably like eight to 10 right now across different functions in the company who want to get themselves out there and lead with expertise and just build those relationships. So myself, Jason, Silvio Perez, Justin Simon, our president Olivier, Gil's out there, Danny Reed, like I could go on with a few more and we get people excited internally because when you hear on gong calls, you know, there are people who don't interact with my content or Jason's content, yet they mention it on gong calls. We share those recordings internally as proof points of, Hey, this shit works and we <laughs> need more people to help, you know, amplify this message. We don't mute people, if you will, or say you have to say it in this way. And it's uncharted territory for me because I've never really done this at scale, but the more that you can get people behind the really the the company as the faces of the company like that's what we're trying to do yeah and you see this in the rise of everyone's social like it's i mean personal brands on linkedin like this is directionally where employees want to go anyway yeah and like point proven the last three people that we've hired on our marketing team this is crazy i didn't ask for a single resume because i was following them on linkedin i had enough conversations with them i had seen them post enough and I knew that, hey, they know like their shit. I didn't have to even ask for a resume because I already knew them. I liked them and I trusted them. If that's not personal brand, then I don't know what it is. That is such a powerful <laughs> testimonial right there. <laughs> you mentioned proof point. I want to mm-hmm. go in that direction because this is where I think I struggle with brand as thinking mm-hmm. about what are the success metrics for brand like beyond like there are vanity metrics i know when you think about what it means like give me an example of what you look at and what you would build into a plan for defining success or proving success yep so we just presented our uh the next two quarters uh our marketing plan to our ceo this morning so jason was uh presenting that i was not in that meeting so Maybe we'll do a second episode and I'll tell you all the things that I proposed of how well that landed with our CEO. I think they did, but uh, a few different things. The first thing being the increase in direct traffic 
uh, that we're looking at. So it's really, really hard to measure this stuff. But if you can look at direct traffic over time and see are people coming to metadata, uh, it's imperfect, but are they coming to metadata directly? Is that trending up and to the right? I'd say that's one thing. I think another thing that we're looking at is the size of our, call it like audience per se, across the events that we're running, the podcasts that we have, and there's more that we'll be launching soon, our YouTube page and our LinkedIn page. And is that, you know, growing over time? And then the other thing, and this has been really challenging, uh, it helped once Dave came on board because Dave was then able to suggest this to our CEO as well, are like the qualitative side of, mm -hmm. you know, how you measure this. It's the email responses that we get to emails that we send. It's comments that are being posted on our own posts or on our LinkedIn posts. And it's taking screenshots of those and making sure that, hey, are the right people at the right types of companies? You know, are they <laughs> interacting and commenting? And it's a blend between the two. You know, you can't quantify all of this, but I think the, the things that you can quantify, great, but like you fill in the gaps with qualitative things and, you know, what you're hearing on gong calls and everything else I mentioned. This is interesting. There's so much I want to dig into on this one. Yeah, Direct yeah. traffic, first of all, is fascinating to hear that as a metric because for so long direct traffic was the enemy reduce the amount of direct traffic and get the attribution and get your utm parameters i'm assuming this is because you've accepted that the whole dark social movement is just the reality totally yeah we 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 use utm parameters uh when it makes sense we i would say we primarily don't use utm parameters because we're not trying to obsess over that uh it's in Jason has worked in ops for a very long time. He's spent so much time and effort and dollars coming up with the craziest attribution models in the world. And what he's realized is like, it really doesn't produce any better outcome than if you just accept the reality and, and know what the limitations of attribution are. Yeah. You mentioned the struggles of trying to do this at scale. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about qualitative stuff like screenshots and yep. just examples. Do you have any way of operationalizing this? Is it just as you learn it? Like, I guess, first of all, yep. how do you facilitate the sharing of that information? Because so much of it might happen in a sales yep. conversation where it gets mentioned. Maybe it's a gong call. Yep. How do you make sure you're, you're collating all of that? Yeah. So I'll get to that part first. And I think, again, it starts with leadership and them saying, hey, this is a part of our culture and, and this stuff works and it does. So what we'll do is we have a few different Slack channels. Uh, with our sales and CS teams, and then uh, like a praise channel as well. And they'll send recordings, they'll take screenshots, they'll share it internally when it comes up positively, we'll do the same. And it, it felt a little weird at first when we were first getting this off the ground, because I thought it was, Hey, look at marketing bragging that, Hey, this stuff's working. Yeah. And if you do it right, it's not, it's just internal marketing and showing, Hey, you may not truly understand why we're doing all of these things, but if this is the right type of person at your target account and they're replying to my email or they're commenting on one of our LinkedIn posts, that's encouraging. So I think that's the, the first thing that we, you know, started to do when we were getting this off the ground. And then as we scale this, you know, we've got to grow, I think three, we've got a three X our sales team this year, which is already insane. So like, there's so many more new faces mm -hmm. we're relying on the people who have been here for quite some time and the people who have joined recently to continue to make that part of the culture so that we can hold on to this as best as we can, because it's when everyone's fully bought in, it makes it so much easier when you're having to convince leadership and 
you know, your sales team or your CS team that this stuff works. It's really hard. I fought that fight and lost at my last two companies. And really what I try to do is I try to go find companies that were doing this really, really well and showing, you know, examples of what good looks like. And once leadership sees that they're pretty, you know, reasonable people at the end of the day, because when they see what good looks like, they say, Hey, I want that. Go make that happen. I got burned because I couldn't just make it happen because the rest of the company wasn't bought in on it. Yeah. And so it's interesting that, especially as you're like growing a sales team out mm -hmm. like that, it, it's one of those things where I think brand is one of the things you have to feel as an internal mm -hmm. employee. So it, it feels like the more real time and the more organic this is where people are sharing it as it's happening is a better approach than, hey, I've got like a, a deck full of all of these screenshots that I'm going to show the mm -hmm. company once a quarter. Like, yeah. is that... Do you just try and weave it into the way people communicate with each other? Yeah. And I think, uh, there was an amazing, I think it was a email or something that our Clay Bentley, our VP of sales said. And again, this is, uh, a company who I would have never thought a, a year ago or let alone two years ago, when I started would be talking about brand. He said about a year ago when we would talk with prospects and ask them if they had heard about metadata. He said, usually it was about a two out of a 10. Uh, nowadays it's about seven or eight out of 10 people have already heard about metadata and it makes it that much easier for them when they don't have to go through, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is all that stuff. These people already feel like they know the faces behind metadata and it's just the sales team. When they see that happening, it's like, of course I have to do this. It, it's such a simple sales message when you actually think about it. And it's something I've always done, which is that like. The job is not necessarily like from a demand gen point of view. My job is not to get you leads. It's to make sure that when you speak to people, they've heard of you, they know what you do, they like you. Mm -hmm. And that's that last one is such an important piece. Yep. Yeah. And it's, I think a, a lot of people are saying, you know, brand equals demand and all that stuff right now. I think it, it helps make generating demand over time, I think a little bit easier because it compounds, but like they're two different functions. They just have to be very, very coordinated with one another. It can't just be, Hey, here's a demand gen team trying to run a bunch of paid ads that, you know, don't really reflect the story, the personality, who we are, like what we're trying to do. And when they work hand in hand, which we do here, it's, uh, it's very fresh and unique and, uh, uh, it's just like a great working relationship to have because it's all part of the same thing. Not, Hey, brand is the, you know, stepchild over in the corner and they just come up with the decks and the logos and the, <laughs> the brand palette colors. Like that's not how it is here. And I'm glad you mentioned it being a different function. Cause I, I do agree with you on this. And I think what I'd love to get your thoughts on is, you know, sales lives quarter to quarter. We know mm -hmm. this, that's the reality. Demand gen sadly does a lot of the time and it's trying to live in a slightly longer horizon. Brand, mm -hmm. I feel, is probably one of the longest time horizons when it comes to marketing. So yep. I guess even when you came in, how far out are you thinking? When are you expecting to see results and like how incremental, like how far out do you think? What kind of time horizons does a brand marketer need to think in? Yeah, it was, uh, it was such a fight. And Jason and I have an amazing relationship. So everything that I would say here, I would say to him, <laughs> or if he listens to it, none of it will come as a surprise, but. I had to fight with him at first because he didn't realize what brand was and, and how it could help build metadata as a company. He just thought we could math our way out of everything. And then as we started to focus on, I'd say content and really 
awareness and educational content and warm people up. And when I, he would start to see how many times that, you know, his name would be mentioned or my name would be mentioned once we got ourselves out there more on, on LinkedIn, he was like, okay, there's something here. Now we're thinking, I would say probably 12 to 16 months out, just okay. big picture. And then very tactically, we're thinking about six months out of the big brand bets that we're willing to make. And now I've got him coming to me with brand ideas. I occasionally will remind him, do you hear yourself talking right now? Like you never would have done this, you know, <laughs> a year, year and a half ago. So it's, I say that because it's funny how once people who, you know, may not buy into brand at all and may come from ops backgrounds or just quant people, once they see what it can do for the company and the marketing team, it's a no brainer for them too. And they're all in on it. So help me understand these like six month, 12 month plans. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to improve things that you see as not being quite strong enough perceptions that you're trying to change? Is it more about increasing mentions and awareness? Where do you mm -hmm. build those plans into? Yeah. So I would say the first thing that we did is Jason and I worked on a, it's like a five year, uh, not really a plan, but like maybe like a five-year like vision statement. And we said, hey, five years from now, we want to be able to say that this is what metadata is doing. And I won't share too much about it away, but right. it is lofty. It's crazy. It's, it makes my brain hurt, but it, it makes you think, wow, it would be unbelievable if we could say that, yes, we're checking, you know, a few of these boxes or all of these boxes five years from now. So then what we'll do is we'll back into, okay, we've got these really, really big lofty things that we want to tackle. How can we start to chip away over the, uh, the next, you know, 12 to 18 months to get us closer to there. And then we get very solid on what those goals are. And then for the six month ish view, then we get really, really tactical of these are the bets that we're going to make. These are the activities that roll up to each of those bets. And then this is how we're going to quantify whether or not this is working or not working. So that was what we put in front of our uh, CEO, Gil Lush this morning. And from what Jason was slacking me two minutes before we got on here. It sounded like it went really well. So again, I think showing the future, but also here are the milestones that we want to work towards to get to that point. And then let's get really tactical. These are the bets that we're going to make over the next six months. Um, a, a quant CEO is more comfortable when they see this is the, you know, attention to detail and the planning that goes into it, not just, hey, let's redo our logo. Let's uh, <laughs> update the colors. Let's redo the website. Like I would be laughed out of that meeting if I said something like that. And I'd love to dig into one specific example. So mm -hmm. you announced the Emmys, your experimental yep. marketer of the year awards. Yep. That's very clearly a brand campaign. Yep. And I guess first, before we can go further, for anyone who's not aware, what is that? Yep. So basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to put together a awards ceremony and really a contest at the end of the day for a 10K prize to highlight really good creative B2B marketing. Now, when we say creative, it could be truly creative in a, you know, brand sense of the world or something that hadn't been done with a particular campaign. It could be creative from an experimentation perspective. It could be creative from an ops perspective. Like there's parameters that you have to meet, but like there aren't really, uh, let's say it, it doesn't need to be straight up demand gen for every single one of these, you know, submissions. And we're going to have five or maybe six finalists. The uh, deadline is actually later today. Uh, 
So we've been pleasantly surprised by who has applied and like the companies and just the, the work that they're submitting. And we'll have uh, three different judges, uh, DG, Guillaume, and then Jale, the CEO of Mutiny, who's our partner that we're co-hosting this with. And they'll judge, I think it's about half of the kind of final ceremony. And then the other half is going to be judged by the participants. So we're trying to show more creativity when it comes to marketing because it's just missing at the end of the day. And if you were giving advice to someone who's trying to build one of these campaigns into their own mm -hmm. counter, who has traditionally only done demand gen type events where it's about get RSVPs, follow up with those RSVPs, yep. generate pipeline. Yep. How do you sell that in? What is the purpose of it? What does yeah. the outcome look like? What does success look like? Yeah. So I would say, and let's use our event last year as the example demand. So that was the first real event that we had did that was a non-customer event. We had some help from a, an event perspective uh, with a freelancer that we were working with who was coaching us on all the things that we would have totally forgotten about and screwed up had we not had her, uh, Carly Williamson. She's amazing. But when it comes to putting on an event, we really had no idea of what, like how events have been run in the past. So what we did was what is the type of event that we would want to put on and attend ourselves? It's led with uh, really good content first. Uh, it is disarming in a sense that you don't have to worry about being handed off to an SDR and AE the second that the event is over. And then it is trying to get like-minded people together. So we had a goal for registrations and attendees for that first event, but we said, Hey, this is a brand building, you know, goal that we have to launch an event like this. We want to punch above our weight class, which really was like the, the, the overarching goal. It's a little soft, but that's what we wanted to do to try and show that, Hey, we're much bigger than we actually are. And then the beauty was we had, I think seven or eight directly attributable opportunities and even one closed one deal before the event even started from mm. demand. So then over the next 90 days afterwards, even though we went in with all of those things as our intentions, we still had the pipeline and even closed one revenue to back it up. So I, I think being very transparent with your audience too, at the end of the day of like the purpose behind why you're having this event goes a long way in disarming people. That's very interesting. So if you were giving advice on starting to budget for brand, yep, things like this, yep, a lot of B2B tech brands, it is a hundred percent demand related spend. Yep. How much of it should be about brand building versus capitalizing on that brand through demand generation? Yep. I would say, and we were flying blind a little bit when we were first coming up with this, but I think we were at around 30 to maybe 35% of like the total, let's just say program spend that we had uh, last year. And I think we're right around the same amount this year. And then the remaining program dollars were all towards Gen. So that was a guess just based on what I'd heard from people like Kyle Lacey and Dave Gerhardt and just listening to podcasts and whatnot. But I think it, it held pretty true. I think when we were first starting out, the majority of like the brand budget per se was being spent on freelancers that we were working with from a content perspective and leading with content first, because we launched our new website right around this time last year, and we were still a team of, of two full-time marketers. So for, I think the next four to five months, while we were hiring for our uh, Justin Simon, our senior content manager, I was doing like guest content series and paying them to help write content for us. And like, it didn't have to look great at the end of the day from a design perspective, but if the content was really good, 
that's what people come for. So we got our foot in the door with spending the, the brand dollars on content. And then once we got the content down, that's when we started to do kind of flashier things around events, the brand identity, you name it. On that creative side, I'm, I feel like it's really easy for people if they think about, okay, we're going to create a unique brand through design. And usually what they'll end up doing is find a color palette that's alarmingly different to what everyone else is using, which makes sense because mm. you want to stand out. Yep. Beyond that, how much intentionality is there in creative? Like, are you trying to communicate a perception or is it all about differentiation? Yeah, it's a good question. I've never been asked that before. So I would say this. So we work with Alger, uh, which is our creative agency. They're amazing. They do really, really good work. And it's probably been one of my favorite partners that I've ever worked with. And what we did was we shared some initial guardrails of, hey, these are the, like <laughs> where you can stay within. But as long as you stay within those guardrails and you make us a little uncomfortable because you kind of have to be uncomfortable, like that's the, the feeling that we're looking for right now. So our CEO, Gil, would say, hey, these are some of the things that I'm interested in. And then I would kind of take that and say, all right, we've got to meet these requirements. And then here's how far I want to push it. And I think what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to stand out from a, I'd say a design perspective in the creative that we're using. And then now that we have this narrative uh, that we've, you know, started to release out into the market, you're going to see us blend, you know, cool looking stuff with a really interesting narrative. And we're going to be marketing that category more, not just marketing metadata ourselves. I wrote a post about this recently about salespeople being very much vehicles for the brand because they're the ones communicating their style is going to be the one that will come through in a lot of those presentations. Oh, yeah. And obviously product marketing and brand owns a lot of the sales decks. How much influence, I guess, do you have or should you have in the way it is being sold? Yep. So another amazing question and great timing because it's something that we're going through right now. So we are probably around... I don't know, maybe 80-ish percent done with this, but we just had our kickoff last week where we released the narrative to the rest of the company. We're going to be certifying sales and customer success over the next three-ish weeks with that. And then what we're doing with sales and with their input is, hey, here are all the narrative slides that we need you to go through that should take more than five minutes, no more than five minutes at the beginning of a call. And then you let me know what you need from a deck perspective. And we're calling this a... Uh, Alex Verdon, our senior product marketing manager, came up with this term, uh, a slide garden, if you will. So we have all of these pre-approved slides in a slide deck that's probably going to be somewhere in the 30-ish slide range. And as long as you're using any of those slides to come up with the presentation that you want to use, and then as long as you're using this much longer messaging doc that we have that has all of this pre-approved copy that you can copy and paste for any different scenario. It's like a choose your own adventure, uh, but it all funnels through us because we want to make sure that that same story and that narrative is consistent because we're going to be watching it like hawks over the next you know few months. But also when we tell them, hey, this is a really good educated guess right now, but we also want to refine this over time it then shows that, hey, we're open to updating this and revising it based on what's landing and what's not landing, more importantly. Not, hey, sales team, 
if this sucks too bad, you have to use it for the next nine months. And I think a lot of sales teams are used to that, but we're saying, hey, this is a really solid, educated guess. Use these slides, use this story. And the only way that we'll know what needs to be updated is if we're all using the same story. And we've got a core team of, it's myself, it's Alex, it's the um, head of sales engineering, and then three sales directors. And we're meeting every three weeks to come with, hey, this is what we're seeing in gong calls. You know, this is what we're hearing. Give me all the things that you're hearing from your own team. And then using that as like that working group to tweak it over time because it needs to be tweaked. I'm so glad you're saying this. This is fascinating to me because I've never heard this structure and yet it makes so much sense immediately. Because you're absolutely right. You talk about sales marketing alignment, but it's exactly what you said. So often sales says, these are the things that should be in our sales deck. They don't, they keep coming up in conversations and then you just give them back something and they mm -hmm. look at it and they're like, I mean, that's not even remotely what I wanted. <laughs> and it's right. It is a partnership because ultimately they have to communicate that message. And if they don't believe in what's on that slide, Yep. it will come across. Yep. Yeah. And I think we were lucky to have Dave at our kickoff in Miami last week. We did a two-part session, one with him and with Jason to present why strategic narratives are important. And more importantly, hey, this is what happened when Drift was all talking about Drift in the same exact way across the entire company. And Dave's got a little bit of, you know, street cred and B2B marketing. So when the sales team hears, this is what it can do for me they're all ears on it. And then the next day we had a session with Gil and Jason actually presenting that narrative. So they realized the importance of storytelling, but we were also very transparent with them of, hey, we fully expect that we're going to have to edit this and revise it. And the only way that we can get there is with you guys using it and giving us really good feedback. I love that. Last place I want to leave us because I've got <laughs> your brain enough. No, I, we, I, I wish we had more time. This is fun. Oh, this is that. fascinating stuff. <laughs> I want to leave it on an optimistic note always. Your, yep. everything you are saying is very much at the forefront of storytelling through brand and B2B. Mm -hmm. You're working with Dave, who himself is absolutely at the forefront of that. So what gets you excited? What are you seeing where you're going, I feel a change. I see this coming. I'm excited about this. I want to start doing this. Yeah, so I would say we talked about measurement earlier and it's, a very slippery slope because you can quantify some of this stuff, but you can't quantify, I'd say most of it. And what gets me more excited is when we launched this, uh, demand gen, podcast in January, we thought it was going to land. I, I think, you know, we're definitely onto something because as we're sending and promoting this more, and again, it's not promoting metadata, it's just trying to help people be better B2B marketers. We're getting more comments, more replies, more mentions, and you're seeing the the uptick in those over time. And that's the stuff that really gets me excited from our own work. Now, when it comes to inspiration, I'm looking at, and we just recorded an episode on this uh, as well. I'm starting to look at more around like individual creators and the, you know, like them or not, the Gary V's of the world, the Justin Welsh's of the world, and just seeing like what they're doing to like try and get themselves out there to like build these, you know, brands. In that case, it's a personal brand. And then I also look at a few B2C companies that I, I find pretty funny at the end of the day. And I think their copywriting is hysterical and I, I Frankenstein what, you know, excites me the most and try to, you know, visualize that with our team of, Hey, this is what I want us to be doing a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And as long as we're keeping it fun at the end of the day, while still being informative, you know, being helpful, whatnot, like that's 
the brand that I want to build. And there's so much, I hate the, the B2B doesn't have to be boring or B2B is not fun. It's just a lot of people just don't want to take risks. It's like, we're taking risks all the time with this. And is it going to land always? No, but we're comfortable shooting enough that <laughs> some of these shots are going to land. And as long as we, you know, are, uh, making a few, uh, as we take more and more of these bets, we know that we're on something and that's what excites us. That's amazing. That is a wonderful place to leave us. This has been, I kid you not, so interesting. I, 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 I am a better marketer for the conversation, hands down. Um, I feel like we could do like five more episodes. We might have to, so carefully <laughs> sign yourself up for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. This has been wonderful. I, I love everything you just said. Thank you so much for coming by and really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad that we finally were able to record this and, and meet. It feels like I've known you for much longer and I think we could definitely, uh, the audience will tell based on how the conversation went. Love it. Totally agree.